What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to Car Stuff. My name is Scott Benjamin. And my, that was a little bit... Uh, I know. It's that was like a little a, bit William Shatner It was there. like I was sneaking up on you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you guys probably know me. My name is Ben Bolin. Uh, Scott and I do a little show called Car Stuff. And we would like to, today, talk about something that I think is just amazing. Now, I know, I know you're a Porsche 917 fan, as am I. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I... I'm almost as much of a fan of this vehicle. Are you really? Yes. You know what's interesting about this vehicle is you can now you can often see these on the road. Yes, and these things. Not, not the original. Not no, not the original. Well, not often, and you wouldn't know it if you did. And if you did, and you do know, then please send us an email. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because uh, that's pretty rare. That is more than pre- more than pretty rare, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this car, the Shelby Cobra. 427. Yes, specifically the 427. Yes, specifically. Um, talk about a muscle car, man. Oh, yeah. It's the muscle car. I, I think so. I mean, you know, there's a version of it that we'll talk about later that's even beyond what most people are, are thinking about nah, right now. Yes, yes, uh, yes. But, um, you know, this, this car, should we go right through like the beginning of it? Like the, maybe the, the early development of it? Uh-huh. Skip right up to the 427? Because that's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, go ahead and kick us off, if you would, Mr. B, mm-hmm. with, uh, Little story about a guy named Carroll Shelby. Ah, Carroll Shelby. Now, he was a driver for, um, well, he was a sports car driver. Yes. Uh, back in the late 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think most people, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, but maybe it's just because of what we do, but kind of a household name. I think you know who we're talking about if we talk about Carroll Shelby. Yeah, if you're into racing, you know about Carroll Now, the Shelby. guy's old. He's probably 88 years old at this mm-hmm. point. I, I believe he's 88. Um, so he's, he's my grandfather's age, mm-hmm. but he is still, you know, he still makes appearances at auctions. He still, you know, is, is still involved heavily in motor racing, motorsports. Um, you know, just he's, he's really hands on with the whole thing. Now, and Carol Shelby, of course, at, at this age is not racing anymore. And funny story, he stopped racing earlier than you would probably assume. Yeah, no kidding. Now he, he I'll tell you this, and most people may not know this. Mm. He actually won Le Mans in 1959 driving for Aston Martin. And he was also a Ferrari driver 
Um, so, you know, prior to that. So, um, oh, and one other thing. He was a chicken farmer. He was a sometimes chicken farmer from what I heard. So, you know, that's the kind of thing, like, you know, the the race car drivers, it wasn't like what what it is now. Right. And when you were a race car driver, you raced when the races were were happening. Mm -hmm. You probably didn't make a ton of money. I bet you made a fair amount of money. Yeah, but but you didn't make as much as racers make now. No, you're not signing million dollar contracts or or hundreds of million dollar contracts for, uh, you know, five years or whatever. With huge corporate sponsors. No, exactly. This was, this was back in the day when you had to have another job and, race on weekends. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. what he was doing. He was an occasional chicken farmer. He mm-hmm. raced for Ferrari. He mm-hmm. raced for Aston Martin. He was, he was, uh, you know, he was a driver. Yes. And what, what unfortunately happened was he had a heart condition. Yes. And when this heart condition, uh, ended his track career, which mm-hmm. it did, uh, Shelby rolled with the punches, man. And he did something that I really respect mm-hmm. when he said, okay, a lot of people in this situation where where you are doing something that is of such an elite position, you know, even even at that time, it yeah. takes a certain type of person to be a driver. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of thousands who want to do this and can't. Uh, so a lot of people, if they're told they can no longer pursue this kind of career, get mopey, get down in the dumps, you know, and uh, not not Mr. Shelby. Instead, yeah. he said, you know what? If I can't drive uh, the world's best race cars, then I am going to build the best one. Yeah, isn't this awesome? This is a good story because yeah. it, what happened was, you know, he, he there's there's a um, – this is early on. This is like 19 uh, – what was it? 1962, I believe, or 1961 when he got word that um, – AC cars. Have you ever yes, heard of AC yes. cars in England? Now this is this is the whole tie between AC cars and and the Shelby and, Cobra and Ford as well. What eventually became the Shelby Cobra. Um, AC cars was going to lose its engine provider. Okay, mm-hmm. now they were they were being powered by six cylinder engines uh, when it was a, an AC car. Well, Shelby talked to them and decided, you know, that's a great start for my race car. Yes. Uh, what I'll do is I'll take a great big American V8 engine. I'm going to stuff it inside there, the biggest one I can find. Yeah, and that would be a 260 V8. Exactly. He got a small block because Ford had a brand new small block. Mm-hmm. And it came from the 1962 Fairlane. And uh, it was, again, 260 cubic inch engine. So it didn't start out as the, you know, the 289 or the 427 or whatever. Right. It, uh, it started out as a 260. So the very first Shelby cars, uh, which were actually AC bodies, mm-hmm. had these Ford mm-hmm. engines in them that were 260, 260 cubic inches. And, um, that was what you call, I guess, the Mark I cars. That yeah. was the, uh, the very first. First iteration. Uh, exactly. The AC Shelby Cobras. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, it wasn't a perfect marriage. No, and this is 1962. That's right. the very beginning of it, right? Yeah. And so let's give him a chance. Early right? on, right? Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't, wasn't exactly right, like you said, mm-hmm. right? He didn't feel that it was exactly what it could be. Yeah. There were, uh, most specifically, uh, the AC suspension. And the power of the Cobra mm-hmm. with this engine, uh, the suspension just wasn't built for that. Yeah, and he gave it one more shot. He he built a he built a 289 uh, cubic inch version of this in in 1963, which is the Mark II. Yeah, and you know it had more power. It was a stronger car, but again, a lot of torque, mm-hmm. a lot of horsepower, and uh, like you mentioned, this chassis. It had these longitudinal springs on the front, you know, leaf springs yeah, uh, yeah. for the for the chassis. It was just set up for a lighter weight engine, not mm. quite as much power as as these big V8s were putting out. Right. So it was going to twist the frame. It was just it was just not a good match. Yeah. So 
something had to happen. So it, by 1965, and this is a couple years later, you know, mm-hmm. going through the 289 version, which was, you know, again, very popular, very strong car. Yeah. And but, by, by this point, he's built a little less than 700 of these. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah, there's that many out there. 650. Well, these are the small block ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, by 1965, um, this is basically when he ended ended the use of uh, the Ace chassis. Okay, so the the uh, and and produced a a custom made chassis, I guess, that was based on that chassis. Mm-hmm. Now it's still a tube frame, it was spaced out a little more, but it went to a, a more modern suspension setup mm-hmm. and something that could handle the uh, the power that uh, that this thing was was putting down. Um, and because he also had a master plan for what he was going to do in 1965, <laughs> and this is where we get into the car that we're talking about today, really. Uh, the, the big 427. Yes, the 427. And, uh, the, this thing, this, I'm sorry, this vehicle, this actually, I would call it a piece of art, is, um, it's a little more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. But it's way meaner. Yeah, way meaner. Now, there's a couple of versions of this thing, too. And yes. this is, this is what's confusing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it, I didn't know this. They, there were two versions that were still called the 427 that had two they had two different engines. Can you see how exci- I'm 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 biting my lip, man? Yeah, it's a well. You if you want to if you want to hit us with it, go ahead. But um, it, it's it's a very minor difference, but it's a big difference, right? Yeah. Do 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 the uh, normal one first. Don't do the awesome one yet. Okay. So <laughs> most of these cars that were produced as a 427, they're mm-hmm. called the Cobra 427, had a 428 cubic inch engine. Mm-hmm. And that may surprise a lot of people. I mean, why would they call it a 427? It's a 428. That, but, you know, close enough, that type of thing. But that's not true because the the 427 was a racing engine. Yes. And the 428 was designed for um, the Ford Galaxy and the Ford Thunderbird, which are big passenger cars. Right. And yeah. these were not detuned, but they weren't as tunable as a race car engine would be. And these aren't like the high output engines that, that you would think. Now, 428 mm-hmm. is not – and this is really strange, but the 428, mm-hmm. just the way it was built, that specific engine, you know, that, that specific engine combination was not nearly as strong as the true 427 that was built by Ford. All right. Now, the Shelby Cobra 427, the one we're talking about now, mm-hmm. is – also, uh, got a couple interesting things about it when you talk, uh, when you talk in terms of street legality. Yeah, that's true because a lot of them, as it, as it turns out, in 1965, now that's the first year of the 427, okay, 65. Right. Um, most of these cars were actually street versions of the 427, which would be, in reality, the 428 engine. Yes. Okay, so it detuned a little bit, right? Right. Okay. Now, there were some that were called uh, semi competition cars. So these are, these are the ones that are labeled SC. And you probably, mm-hmm. a lot of people have heard of SC, you know, the foot, the Cobra 427 SC. Right. But that's, maybe aren't exactly sure why. Exactly. That's semi competition. Mm-hmm. And those are detuned engines as well. And they've got, uh, bumpers on them and things like that so that they can be driven on the street. But they're also, you know, they're not quite race car. Mm-hmm. Now, there were very few, uh, full competition 427s that were built. And mm-hmm. I mean, very, very few full competition 427s. Like and there's only one left. No, right? no, 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 no. There's more than that. Yeah. There's more, yeah, there's more 427. There are very few. I mean, we're talking like in the, you know, a dozen range or something okay. like that, maybe yeah. less at this point. I don't know. I've, I've seen a few online, but they're very, very few full competition mm-hmm. 
427 Cobras around. And, um, you know, they had this full, they had a unique suspension. They had, um, oh, get this, they had a 42 gallon fuel cell in the back end. Which so is surprising. It's huge. Yeah. A 42 gallon fuel tank in the back end of that car. And you think about the weight that Well, th- that's the thing though. It balanced out the w- engine weight. So when it was fully loaded, it was like a 50-50 balance and it was really great. Oh, okay. Then that makes sense. That's necessary because we should also, we should also talk about the fact or at least point out the fact that the power to weight ratio of the Shelby Cobra. Mm-hmm. In, in all the iterations is impressive. Yeah, very, very impressive. It doesn't matter if it's a 428 or what it was. Right. I mean, any of them were impressive because the, these cars are so lightweight and so they're so small mm-hmm. um, combined with this big black engine that they put in or even the small black, you know, the old 289s. Those are still extremely strong cars. But when yeah. you bump it up to the, the true 427. Oh, buddy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's ridiculously fast. Um, one one quick thing before you get into your uh, – what, what's you that? Letting the cat out of the bag as you want to. Yes. One real quick thing. I knew a guy that worked on the Ford uh, racing teams for a while. No, you didn't. Yeah, I sure did. did. You and you know what? The weird thing is I, I, I mentioned this guy in, um, in a couple podcasts ago when I mentioned, um, I took a, my car to like a, a little garage in downtown Detroit that was, it was a, I had a Honda CRX that I had really hopped up. I mean, new yeah. engine, new everything, right? Nice. A lot of internal parts that were done. His dad, the guy that ran that shop, was a welder there. His dad worked on the Ford teams with Carroll Shelby in the racing series in that time, in that time frame, the late wow. 60s, early 70s. Yeah. And the, the even crazier part is I only knew that because I mentioned a project that I was doing at work with uh, a guy that was one of the original Ram Chargers, mm-hmm. uh, that, which is the Dodge um, employee racer team. The guy's name, the guy that I knew, his name was Dick Burke, and he was one of the original Ram Chargers. That, that He was an engineer. And, um, they still call them back to do these special events at the museum and things. Nice. There's very few of them. There's probably 10 of them left. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, then there were later series of them, but he was sure. one of the original racers from back in the early 60s. One of the founding chargers. Exactly. One of the founding ramp chargers. And, and these two guys knew each other because I mentioned that I was doing a project with Dick Burke and he said, I know Dick Burke. So you know, weird. And I, he said, he said, tell him, uh, you know, Miles says hello. And, you know, it was just this weird back and yeah. forth, but a, a strange chance coincidence thing that happened. Ooh. And, you know, this is before Facebook and all that, so there, there's no way to, like, connect them. So I'm <laughs> right. taking messages back and forth between the two of them. Yes. Really weird. But anyways, a couple of old-timers that were into some really cool cars at the time. So, Ben, you got this uh, – you got the story about uh, something unique. Oh, yes. It's killing me. It's what killing is it? I'm sorry. Thank you so much for, for putting up with me. You, you guys who are listening in, you can't see it, but I'm, like, jittering back and forth and moving around He's uncomfortably. Anxious. I'm anxious. I'm excited. Um, let me tell you, or let me ask you, Scott, something that I suspect you already know the answer to. On, let's play Jeopardy. On January 21st, 2007, this vehicle hmm. fetched a $5.5 million price, uh, at the Barrett Jackson car auction. Now, this was a world record price for a U.S. car. World record price. Hmm, what kind of vehicle would that be? I don't know. I'm going to guess it was a Cobra 427. You're you're right. Could you be more specific? No, I'm sorry I can't, Ben. <laughs> okay. Well, luckily Watson is not playing this game with us. <laughs> yeah. The IBM computer, but that is the Shelby Cobra 427 Super Snake. Super Snake. The Shelby Cobra 227 Super Snake. 427. Oh, 427. Yeah, 227. Yep. Where am I going? 1966. Yes. Uh, it's made in 1966 
and it did indeed sell for $5.5 million. It, it's a 800 horsepower sports car. Wait, 800 horsepower? Yes. That, that bears some explanation here. 800 horsepower in a car that is as small as the Cobra? Right. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's what that's what a lot of people uh, that's what a lot of people are talking about because it's got um, now this vehicle itself weighs like maybe twenty five hundred pounds at most. I, I would be surprised if it weighs that much, but I think most of that would be engine. Yes, yes, uh, <laughs> a lot of it is engine. Mm-hmm. Engine so much that so much so that some people got uh, uncomfortable with it. So it's got this horsepower comes from a twin supercharged overhead valve V eight in. 3.2 seconds, this thing goes from zero miles per hour to 60. In the, now again, this is 1966. Yes. This yeah. is unbelievable. This is a, this is the numbers of a current supercar. Mm-hmm. This is the numbers of, uh, this is in the Ferrari range. This is in the Lamborghini range, sure. the, the Lotus range. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't an old muscle car range. The, the muscle cars were fast, but they weren't that fast. To quote Mr. Shelby himself, when I built this dual supercharged 427 Cobra in 1966, I wanted it to be the fastest, meanest car on the road. Forty years later, it will still kick the tail of just about anything in the world. It's the fastest street legal Cobra I've ever owned. Wow. And that's, that's from the man himself. So this was his personal car, right? Yes. And he, there, there were only like two produced. Two produced. Okay, so – Okay, that bears the question then. Where was the second car? <laughs> okay. For a little while, the second car was the property of a prominent entertainer that you may know of as Bill Cosby. Ah, yes. Um, Dr. Huxtable. Dr. Huxtable himself. Well, the good doctor uh, did take the car out for a test drive one day. He bought it though, right? He bought it. He did buy it. Uh-huh. And he took, he took it out on the test drive. And now this is the story. This is how the story goes. Uh, Bill Cosby was so frightened by this test drive and so uncomfortable with just the sheer, uh, I, I hate to use this word again, but the sheer brutal force of this thing mm-hmm. that he took it back, right? He was really? done with it. Well, so he bought the car and he said it's too much. Not not price wise, just too much power. Yes, just too much power. And um, now the let's follow this car a little bit. Uh, another quotation here from Harley Cluxton, a uh, collector who owned the Super Snake that was sold at the uh, at the auction. This is the this is Carol Shelby's car. This is Carol Shelby's okay. car. Yeah, which yeah. is part of the reason it sold for so much. Yeah. Um. So. Cluxton says that this car speaks volumes about the genius in Carroll Shelby. Uh, to quote Cluxton, uh, Shelby's Cobra is the benchmark that defines the American muscle car. His baby does it all, and without the help of ASR, ESP, ABS, engine management, ECUs, carbon <laughs> fiber, titanium, or the United Nations. In other words, <laughs> United Nations. <laughs> he throws okay. that in there. He threw the UN in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's funny because um, this is just a, a flat-out fast car, no doubt about it. No no electronics going on. No no uh, bells and whistles. Exactly. No safety features. Nothing. I mean, other than you know, roll bar possibly and things like that. Right. Now, th- what's interesting, that uh, the car that – you said that Bill Cos- Bill Cosby bought the car, took it out for one drive, mm. brought it back, said I can't I can't drive this too fast, and that was the inspiration for one of his albums, wasn't it? Or one uh, of his bits, at least. Anyways, one of his comedy bits. 
It what it was well, uh, two hundred miles per hour. I think is the name of it. Is what they they yeah, mentioned yeah. in the article here. Yes, yes. I I've been searching for bits of that to to listen to it. And I can't find it. I'll have to uh, have to really dig deep on that one. But the the uh, the tragic part about that story is that that car, the one that Cosby owned, mm-hmm. was later sold. Because remember, there's only two. There's right. Carl Shelby's car. There's the one that Bill Cosby owned. Brought it back. It was sold to someone else, and unfortunately, that person crashed it and died. Yes. So uh, right now there's only the one left, and that's why it, it fetched. And not not only that, it was owned by Carol Shelby. So yeah, it's it's unique and it has history. That's why it fetched that five and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now that's a that's an American car um, mm-hmm. uh, world record at this point, I think. Yes. Um, I don't know if anything's topped it by now. I doubt it. Yeah. The funny thing with uh, records of that nature, records of auctions and things like that. Um, is that the most expensive – they have a high turnover. Mm-hmm. You know, The most expensive car uh, one year has a high chance of not being – not holding that record the next year. True. Very and true. It's, it's kind of like – Even even the next auction. Yeah. That's and, the way it goes. Yeah, and it's kind of like – you see other statistics like that. Um, the one I can think of the most easily is a uh, top land speed record. Yeah, True. Uh, True. And, always uh, falls. It seems like every year we need to. Yeah, that, <laughs> that record that always falls. So, yeah. anyways, if um, I don't know if I have much more to add to this, other than that, mm. there there is a, a Shelby American Auto Club registry that mm-hmm. you can you can check out if you want to. Now, there's a ton of, uh, as we mentioned earlier, replicas on on the street, and oh yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, people have said that the you know the replicas are better than the originals because remember the originals we talked about the suspension problems and just right. it wasn't it wasn't really matched. Quite as well as it could have been originally. Mm-hmm. Carol Shelby helped to refine that in the 427, and then you know later in the, the Super Snake version that he made. But um, you know, the thing about this is that you know originally it was just kind of a, uh, and I hate to say it, but it was kind of thrown together at first. And, uh, and not, I could see that you not, know not sloppily, really, but yeah, it, just was, it was quickly thrown together. I, I, I don't think you're wrong. And uh, and of course now you know going back 40 years, 45 years, mm-hmm. it's easier to manufacture something that handles much better that maybe uh, has the ability to transfer that power easier to the wheel there's it's to it's the, maybe yeah. a different there's different ways to make horsepower or maybe maybe more efficient ways to make mm. horsepower in this case so yeah you can find some uh, some kit cars now that have 800 plus horsepower you can find some that have more than that you know at the drag strips you know the cobras but mm-hmm. um, they won't have the history that the that the uh, the super snake does have yeah so you can find replicas of all different you know, values and, and horsepower and mm-hmm. um, quality. But uh, the originals are, are definitely something to behold. And just in case you're wondering, uh, for all the multimillionaires listening to the show right now, uh, just in case you're wondering, uh, I did a little bit of cursory investigation, just, just a bit, just a bit, just touch the tip of the iceberg, if you will. And it appears that this vehicle is currently not for sale. Not for sale. So please put away your checkbooks. Yeah. Um, if you're just about ready to write six million on the line, not necessary. Right. Now, as, as you have pointed out, Scott, people can find imitations. They can find kit cars. Mm-hmm. Um, you can but, still find originals at auctions. Yes. It's rare, but I watched about 15 years ago. I saw a guy in a, uh, a bidding battle 
in one of these. It was one of these high-end auctions that I stumbled across. The same yeah. one where they sold that uh, the Green Hornets car. Oh, yeah, yeah, Black yeah. Beauty. Yeah. It was one of those uh, ridiculous auctions where lots of money is tra- changing place. I was just a, a witness to it, you know, s- watching. Stumble, are, stumbled across it. One of those auctions where if you and I were sitting there to cover it, we would both sit absolutely still. Oh yeah, I'm not even I'm not even blinking my eyes. No matter just, how much my nose itches, I don't want to signal anything by accident. Yeah. So I was watching, and uh, there was a very at the time, you know, I was in high school, probably mm-hmm. eight, I guess, it was seventeen or eighteen. Um, I watched a, uh, a guy was young, he had a family, uh, a wife and daughter. It was a young doctor from the area. He was bidding like four hundred twenty five thousand dollars for an original wow. AC Cobra. Wow. And um, the the sale never went through. They went to the side and continued dealing, so no one ever knew what really happened with it. Okay. But uh, I was just blown away by the price on that thing. And that was a good 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an all-original and very, very valuable. And speaking of uh, all-original cars, we've got a little bit of listener mail. It's very brief. Sure. All right, Mr. Benjamin, uh, Casey writes in to tell us uh, in response to our recent podcast on the Aston Martin Signet, if you'll recall. And uh, Casey is a fellow of few words, and I, I think some of them are hilarious, just the brevity of this. Check it out. Dear Car Stuff, Signet is a black sheep, a car that does not belong in the lineup. And he goes on to say, other black sheep cars include the Cimarron and and the Borrego Amor. Uh and then he says, you know what? You could do a podcast on black sheep cars. Hmm, okay. So a black sheep, that's what he called the Signet, huh? Yeah, and not does not mince words there. Because hmm. you know, I think we did But um, Signet means swan, Ben. <laughs> it's a black swan. It's an ugly duckling. It's the black swan. <laughs> it's the black swan. Yeah. Whoa, dude. That was pretty good. Oh, well, thank you very much. Thank you. And Bad. thank yeah. Oh, no, I was just going back. <laughs> not, not worth really going back for. All right. Um, Black sheep cars. That's a good one. That is. And I agree with the Cimarron. Yeah, the Signet, it's funny because for people who haven't heard that episode, um, Scott, you you and I try to be kind of fair and balanced, I guess, about it. Like sure. We, we want to be objective um, about the circumstances surrounding that car. But what Casey definitely has uh, his finger on the pulse here because – uh, that is a response that uh, is not uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah, it's probably uh, more common than we think. And uh, we are going to go ahead and wrap this up as always. Thanks so much for listening. It's the best part of uh, our day to do these kind of shows, right? Correct. And uh, we don't want we don't want it to stop here at the podcast. We'd love to hear what you think uh, about either the Cobra, the Signet, a specific model of car you'd like us to cover. Or really anything. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We've got a blog. We've got a website you may have heard of. And guess what? We have an email address. It is. That is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.